ARE Study Guide Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the ARE Study Guide Podcast. Today we are going to talk about hazardous materials. There are three big culprits we need to think about, and this is going to be primarily when we're doing a building remodel. They are asbestos, lead, and radon. Asbestos. Let's first talk about asbestos. I'm sure you've heard of it, but do you know what it is? Asbestos is a fibrous material that was really common before 1980. It was a really great insulator. So it's, in buildings before 1980, it was used in insulation, vinyl flooring, siding and shingles, roof flashing, and fire retardant materials. So what if your building has asbestos? If you're not going to be touching it, or in, there's no risk of it getting damaged or disturbed, you don't need to do anything. Asbestos is only a problem when you disturb it because it can cause the particles to break off and become airborne. And that is really bad for us. It's known to cause cancer and other diseases. So if you're going to disturb it, um, like say you have to like rip out the floor or take out the insulation or change the, the shingle or siding material, then you're gonna have to call a professional, someone who specializes in asbestos remediation, and they're going to have to take care of it. You can't just have anyone do this. This is a very specialized thing because they need to do it safely to prevent anyone from getting sick. So again, just so you remember the materials that commonly have asbestos, they're all going to be in materials that were placed before 1980. It's insulation, vinyl flooring, siding, shingles, roof flashing, and fire retardant materials. All right, our next big culprit is lead. Before 1978, lead paint was used everywhere in the United States. But now we know it's dangerous, especially for children. Lead paint is now banned in residential construction, but it's still common to find it where you have existing paint, existing pipes, ceramics, and in our soil. If the building was built or remodeled before 1978, the paint and pipes need to be tested for lead. Similar to asbestos, lead is only a problem if it's disturbed or if it begins to fall apart. But the thing about paint is you don't actually have to really mess with it for it to fall apart on its own. So if anyone's going to be working where lead paint or piping is going to be disturbed, there's a process, 29 CFR 1926.62, probably don't need to remember that number, but just remember there's a process and this is a lead compliance program. And this is how the workers can monitor their exposure. So there's going to be guidelines for respiratory protection and their clothing. And then they're also going to need to take blood tests before they begin the work. And then every six months, and this is how they're going to be able to know if the work has exposed them to lead. In in certain circumstances, if there's going to be a high risk of lead exposure, the workers are going to receive medical treatment regardless if they're proven to have been exposed to lead or not. Uh, 
radon. Okay, let's talk about radon. So I didn't actually know what radon was before doing this research and became a little disturbed. So radon is naturally occurring. It's a gas and it's naturally occurring in our soil and it's known to cause cancer. So what happens is we build our foundation slabs on the soil and then if our, the soil is rich in radon, the radon will seep through the foundation and enter into our buildings. And here we are in our buildings, just breathing in this gas that can cause cancer. So how can you stop radon from entering a building? You can use a plastic sheet at the foundation that allows the radon gas to be under the foundation but doesn't allow it to enter up through the foundation. You need to seal and caulk all the openings that are below grade and install a vent pipe that can vent out radon and any other toxic gases and just let them up through the roof. Those are the three big ways. And say you already have a home and you're concerned that you could have radon, um, you should buy a radon test. Uh, I don't think they're much money. I, I looked at Home Depot and I don't think they're much money. I, I think the actual testing kit is really cheap and then you have to send it in to get your result and I think that might be where you spend like a hundred bucks or something um but you should definitely get this test it's important to know I think um because it seems like it's uh more common than probably any of us realize and yeah might as well be safe right so good to know for your test but also just good to know for life sick building syndrome I guess since we're talking about these things, we might as well talk about sick building syndrome. Sick building syndrome is basically when the air quality in a building makes the occupants sick. But then when they leave, they feel fine. Hopefully. If they don't, it's called building-related illness. And that's when a building gets you sick, you leave, and you're still sick. And this is all related to the indoor air quality. Most commonly, you're going to have poor indoor air quality because of a lack of ventilation. Ventilation can be improved by just opening a window or having a mechanical vent. Common sources of indoor air pollutants are the occupants breathing, releasing CO2, combustion appliances that release carbon monoxide, smoking, our materials off-gassing, flooring, carpet, upholstery, those are really big culprits asbestos, vinyl and fiber cement products before 1980, mineral and glass fiber products such as in insulation and acoustic tiles, pressed wood products, a lot of those products uh, used formaldehyde, cleaning products are really bad for our indoor air quality, printers and copy machines are really bad, they release ozone, when you have an open office floor plan, you should put printers and copy machines in protected partitioned zones that allow them to be separately ventilated so that the pollutants that they're releasing don't go throughout the whole office. Moisture can be a source of indoor air pollution because it can result in mold and mildew. Radon, as previously discussed. And outdoor air pollution. So... To help prevent outdoor air from polluting our indoor air, 
avoid putting air intakes anywhere near where there are cars or outdoor smoking areas. You have to be really careful where you put your air intakes to make sure they're not near cars. ASHRAE standard 62.1 is going to give us the ventilation requirements for acceptable indoor air quality. ASHRAE standard 62.1 defines an acceptable indoor air quality as air in which there are no known contaminants at harmful concentrations. This standard is going to give us the minimum air changes per hour that we need for our buildings. And then ASHRAE standard 62.2 is going to be the same thing but for low-rise residential buildings. Air changes per hour is how many times per hour the volume of air in the room is replaced. To have a building with good indoor air quality, specify products that have minimal off-gassing. Run the HVAC system for at least two weeks before the building is occupied to help flush out the pollutants and get rid of as much of the off-gassing that's coming from all those new materials. Provide good ventilation through mechanical or natural means. Keep the mechanical equipment clean. Use good filters, such as HEPA filters or carbon filters. You can have monitors that monitor the air quality and they can monitor for CO2, carbon monoxide, natural gas, and um, it can either, the system could maybe activate an alarm when it notices something, such as what happens with carbon monoxide detectors, or in the case of if, there being, if there's too much CO2, it could just activate the ventilation or purification system. Um, keep in mind that CO2, too much CO2 is going to mean that there's probably just a ton of people in your building at that time. So um, for buildings that fluctuate in occupancy, um, sometimes there might not be that many, but then sometimes you could have large crowds of people. That's probably a great place to put a CO2 detector so that when the, there's more occupants, you can boost your ventilation that's going into the space. So there we have it. That's a wrap on our programming and analysis review. I hope that wasn't too boring and I hope I kept everything concise enough. If you want to check out my study guide for programming and analysis, check out arestudyguidepodcast.com. Next, we are going to jump in to project planning and design. I hope your studying is going well. I hope these podcasts have been helpful. And I'm wishing you the best of luck on your test. I know you'll do great. Until next time.